When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Hello, folks. This is Mark, back with the Fearless Mindset Podcast. And today, our guest comes from New York City, believe it or not. And uh, the guy is very busy. And as we talk, we're talking about him. He's on the show. So, Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, scratching out some time on your busy calendar to join us with the beautiful view of the, uh, is that the Hudson back there? (laughs) This is the East River. East River. Okay. The East River. And look at that view. And uh, yeah, you probably look at that picture, folks, and go, uh, it can't be that bad working from home like, or his corporate <laughs> office. And if you only knew what he did. <laughs> well, Mark, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's not that easy. And uh, this is happenstance that I'm in the home office today because I, uh, I just got back from a trip uh, to London and ended up uh, getting COVID. And, you know, fought it off for two and a half years. And here I am. And I got it. Didn't get it bad. But uh, unfortunately, I have to work from home. Hopefully, I'll test negative in the next few days and I'll be able to get back to the office. But I've been actually working on the road and in the office uh, well since 2020. And we didn't have a whole lot of in the security field. We didn't have a whole lot of downtime or home office time. Not in my world. Like you said, it's 24-7. It's like you're people don't realize it, but you're on like an on-call doctor for the sweet people that you serve and support anywhere they go globally. I mean, you, you're with News Corp and as part of the job, you got to protect their interests wherever they are. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really hard to express, especially to folks that are just coming into the field, people who haven't worked in law enforcement or in the military that aren't used to that kind of an op tempo or aren't used to being a 24-7 operations. Uh, and really, if you want to be a good security practitioner or a good provider for your organization, you have to be available 24-7 because at the end of the day, the crises never happen in the air conditioning at uh, you know 3 p.m. when everybody's in the office. No, it happens at the end of the day when your B team is on, uh, when the soft underbelly is exposed in some of your facilities. Uh, it's never at the best time of day. It's going to be in the middle of the night. You know that. You know It's always the worst timing. So we just have to be available 24-7 and be responsive and, and do it with a smile. Do it with a smile, even if you're exhausted with only four hours of sleep in 24 hours. <laughs> it's uh, exactly. exactly. It's almost like being in the military all over again, but you're, you're much older and you feel every inch of those days and it just wears on you. But that's, that, that's the reality of the industry. It's not, you know, sitting in your car on an estate for 12 hours, like a lot of the uh, projects happen in LA and San Francisco. We were sitting on a house 12 hours on. You have a little quarter Johnny walk out to do your thing and walk back in your car. You're like, you're, you're getting on flights. You're probably flying a charter jet, I'm sure, at some given point in time or domestically and get those flights canceled. Like, I think I've seen more stuff on Facebook of people that I know in the industry about how it, uh, these international flights are getting canceled left and right. And they're Correct. just it's how it is. It's the, uh, post-pandemic issues we're having now. It's just people don't want to work and shortage of crews on jets. And it's just the new reality. It is. Yeah, you definitely have to be very malleable, very flexible. You know, and as, as you know, from the Marine Corps, we used to say Semper Gumby. You got to be <laughs> really flexible and 
Uh, you know, you can't take it personally. You just have to be ready to, at any given term. And, and really, that's one of the things I like telling folks that um, a lot of the people who approach me come, I, my background's primarily in the special operations arena and in the in law enforcement and the SWAT arena. Not every soft operator or sf will succeed, uh, or a law enforcement person for that matter, will succeed in corporate security. Um, you know, the basic fundamentals of military operations, the thing, the stuff that you learn in the infantry school or SOI or ranger school or SF, uh, pulling security, situational awareness, route recon, land nav, mission planning, discipline, troop leading procedures, they all fit well in the context of security. Uh, but the human factor and the flexibility and the being able to say yes when you really mean no, um, it's really tough. That's what really separates somebody from being a you know a good warrior to being a good security practitioner. What do you think is the biggest struggle you see from the military community getting in executive protection? What is the biggest mental struggle you see people deal with from SF? Let's say, for example, SF. Where do they struggle with the most? I think, you know, we do a great job in, in and I'll speak to both the military and law enforcement, not just the SF, but just military in general, is that when you come out as an operator, we do a really great job of teaching our people how to shoot, move, communicate, do all this stuff. You know, we're great at, at breaking shit and tearing down walls. And, uh, you know, if we have to kill people and running that mission, uh, you know, hard DA or interdiction missions or recon missions. We're not very good at documenting. We're not very good at communicating. We're not very good at after action. We're not very good at, uh, the again, the flexibility part. We tend to look at things very concrete, sequential. You look at things like, okay, this is what I have to do. This is how I'm going to do it. This is how I was taught to do it. That's the way it's done. You have to be really, really flexible. And I'm not just saying flexible like, oh, the time changed because the boss says now, you know, instead of going to London, we're going to Cannes. All right, no problem. I can deal with that. You know, worse problems to have than to be on a charter jet or on a corporate jet or, or in business class and going to con. But now you have to really lift and shift. And the difference I, I see is that um, warriors coming out of the military and out of law enforcement have this structure and this logistics backbone behind them where they say, I've got a team behind me, even in a small SF team, maybe it's a, a six-man team going in to do a very limited mission, you still got the backing of your unit to do the intelligence and the recon and the planning and uh, you know making sure you got your ammo and you've got your medical stuff. You don't have that when you go into an EP detail. It's you, maybe another person. You might have to lift and shift and be undoing it all on your own. So the fact of the matter is that you don't have that backbone to follow you that you did in the military or in law enforcement. You really have to be able to be autonomous and do it with a smile. I can see that being a struggle for a lot of folks. And I remember you we were talking prior being, for being on Zoom here. You mentioned how people, you know, they one guy got in the industry, lasted, what, a week or a month just doing transportation logistics. He hated it. And it's just not yeah. a fit. And you brought up a good point. Maybe people should, you know, do like a trial run, you know, for a month. Say, hey, let me try this for a month, see if I'm a good fit. If not, no harm, no foul. It's not a good fit. And I think people are almost desperate to break in the exec protection industry and they'll do whatever they take just to break in. But in the long run, it just hurts the client. Clients like, hey, this is not what I want. This guy's not a good fit, not good customer service. 
Exactly. That's the key. You know, can you interact well with clients or or somebody who's a victim or even a suspect? Can you interact well with them in a diplomatic manner? You know, uh, like I said, we do it. We do a pretty bang up job of teaching people how to go to faraway places and blow stuff up, conduct recon. But we don't do a good job of de-escalation, deconfliction, crisis communications, soft skills, diplomatic soft skills. skills. And you're going to do a hell of a lot more of that than you are of shooting and moving. You really are. Um, you know, it's going to be nine times out of 10, the people that you're dealing with. And I'm not saying, believe me, I'm not poo-pooing those skills. I think you have to have them and you need to keep them honed. They're perishable. You have to be on top of your game all the time. Um, but I'm saying that you really need to develop the other skills that the military didn't do for you. Uh, and some units are better at it than others. And, and even in the SF community, you'll look from one group uh, to another They'll have a completely diametrical opposed way of doing things um, where some will be much more into the the hardcore, you know, Safak skills and others will be more into the diplomatic, uh, light touch, um, establishing rapport with the local populace skills. You have to have them both in the EP world and in the security world. Uh, after all, you know, nobody's looking for Billy Joe badass with the Oakley sunglasses and the beard and the crossed arms. You know, nobody wants that. Nobody wants it. You're not going to get a job that way. Um, and, and that's sad because we have some really great warriors that we could potentially bring into the world and uh, show them how to do the business. And they'd be really good at it if somebody kind of nurtured them into it. But unfortunately, you come straight out of that military with your DD-214 and you think that all that stuff, all those tabs and badges and medals that you earned and things that you did along the way, that's totally meaningless when you come to the civilian world. And the first person you're going to run into it's not going to be another warrior who's selecting you to come into the field. It's going to be some joker from HR who has no clue what all that stuff means anyway. So you're probably going to go to the bottom of the basket. You really need to hone those soft skills. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, you know, the LA bodyguards think, well, this applies to the entire world, the entire sector, but it's really not, you know, LA, you know, hypes up the Hollywood bodyguard, but then you have the true corporate, EP agents, which is a totally different animal. I mean, I I think that's why I probably thrived in the corporate side because I was a corporate banker for WAMU before I even went in the EP world. 2008, the market crashed, and I'm like, all right, I know the corporate world, I did it. So maybe this is a good fit, understanding the culture and how things are done, how things look, you know, and it, like you said, the beard and all that, they don't want, they, sorry, guys, nothing to do with your. It's nothing to do with you. It's just the culture it fits in, especially the corporate culture. It's an expectation. I think that, and the the biggest thing is that, again, going back to that, the mindset that we have in the military, particularly in the Marine Corps, you tend to be very concrete, sequential, orderly. This is what my mission tells me I have to do. This is how I'm going to do it. Um, And fortunately, in the soft community, and even in the Marine Corps now, in MARSOC, they're starting to teach folks how to be on the ground thinkers, think on their own, and don't worry about what the book says, let's get the mission done, and you might have to lift and shift and adapt and, uh, you know, adjust along the way, make course corrections along the way. That's the kind of people that we need. That's what, and, and being able to be versatile and communicative, you know, not shut mouth and crossed arms. And like I said, you know, being Billy Badass, that's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, And even in Hollywood, I think nowadays, most of the people that are hiring security personnel, whether it's for a fixed post position, whether it's for a residential or for EPDP detail, they want people that are easier to deal with. You're going to be with the principal hours of the day. They don't want a guy who's a dick. 
They want somebody who's going to be able to communicate well with them and get along well and be well spoken. You know, if you're if you're a decent those guys and, you know, all you can say is uh, the curse words, but you don't really know how to talk about economy or, you know, what's going on in politics or what's going on in policy. If all you're watching is one news network and only getting a unilateral view of the world, you're wrong. You're wrong. You got to open your aperture, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. You know, folks, the people that don't don't know Ed, uh, just go back on his background a little bit. Ed did something very unique that got my attention. He served in special forces in the Army, and I think he got bored with the Army, and then he crossed over and went to special forces in the Marine Corps. I don't know if he's either crazy, logical, or just likes the thrill of excitement <laughs> <laughs> or the risk of adventure, but or the, the, the journey of the spirit. I don't know. But I was very intrigued by just the his ability to do army SF and then Marine SF. And that's not easy to do. I know one person I think that done that one Gonzalez, I'm sure you've heard of one Eagle eye, but uh, that guy, you know, he, I think army ranger medic and he crossed over and went Navy SEALs. I'm like, Whoa, that takes a certain breed to do that. What did you, were you just bored and you just wanted to prove to the world that you can do it? What, what, what was going on there? So I'll, I'll put it back all the way to when I was a kid. Um, we, I'm a first-generation immigrant, moved to the United States as a kid in the late 60s. And um, I, I like to tell a story. My dad lied to us and said, we're moving to California. And he moved us to Milwaukee in winter, no less. And uh, so I, I always had an affinity for the military, even as a little kid. And the Marine Corps really stood out to me. I had seen the Marines and even, even Gomer Pyle, even watching that. I was like, oh, man, the Marines, the Marines. And I, I really liked it. Um, I've got pictures of myself, a little kid wearing uh, Marine Corps T-shirts. You know, I really, really was enthralled with it. I went to um, a school, formerly Northwestern Military Academy, now St. John's Northwestern Military Academy. It was a good primer for me to uh, to learn military culture. And while I was there, I swore that the day I turned 17, I'm going to enlist in the military. And I wanted to go in the Corps. Unfortunately, at uh, 17, to go in the Marine Corps, you needed your parents to sign you in. No problem. My dad was willing to do that. But the boot camp was 11 weeks all along at the time. And I only had eight weeks to play with to get back to school, to come back to my senior year. So I was doing that split training option where you go on reserve status and then you go on active afterwards. Long story short is I went in the Army first, knowing that eventually I'm going to go to the Marine Corps. I'm going to make the move eventually. I had already sounded out what I needed to do. So I went to the Army just to get my feet wet, get in the door. I was in boot camp the day after I turned 17, uh, you know, right in there. And uh, this is back in 1981, uh, knowing that I was going to go to the Marine Corps. Shortly after that, um, you know, I got a commission in the Army. And uh, when I took the commission, almost immediately after I got recruited into SF, I had language skills. And I like to say, listen, I'm definitely not the smartest guy in the world. Uh, in fact, I'm probably one of the dumber ones in, in my classes always. Uh, I had to work very hard, but the language skills, having Portuguese, Spanish, dabbled a little bit in Italian and French, it, it's what got me recruited into SF. And they brought me in because of the language and cultural skills. And at that point, I'm, man, I'm, I'm loving life. I'm going to jump school. And I, I actually went to Marine Recon School as an SFer. I snowbirded before going to the Q course and went to Recon School, uh, which at the time was uh, run by second, was out at Onslow Beach when there was Quonset huts out there. I fell in love with it. Uh, you know, I was a competitive swimmer. I liked the water. I'm like, I got I to gotta go to the Marines. Well, SF led me into a world where I was enjoying, I was doing counter-narcotics operations, stayed on, uh, you know, split between active and reserve status, became a cop to help pay for school. 
Uh, and I, I kept saying, I'm going to go to the Marine Corps. I'm going to go to the Marine Corps. Well, it got to a point where I was uh, I was a captain at the time in the Army Reserve and doing some active duty missions on uh, counter-narcotics missions. I worked at what was formerly known as the School of the Americas and Special Operations Division. I uh, taught the commando course, Ranger School in Spanish, uh, instructed a bunch of evolutions there and worked in LATAM. And uh, the opportunity hadn't presented itself yet to do the inter-service transfer. I really wanted to do it. And I was in SF, but then I got put into 10th group, which was a you know, anomaly for me. It's working the Bosnia mission where I'd go in at, I was at Fort Carson. You'd go in in the middle of the night, come out early in the morning, only saw dark, didn't like what I was doing. I'm like, all right, now I really got to do this. So I put in my packet. It was denied the first time around. And then as luck would have it under Commandant Krulak, General Krulak, it was the whole fixed recon thing. And they wanted to start the Marine Corps to put them into special operations. And at that point, they were eager to have me. And that's where I made the transition. Had to start all over, had to get a complete new indoc, made me go to recon school again on reserve status. Uh, I went to 4th Recon Battalion, ended up uh, working as a platoon commander and then company XO, company commander, worked my way up the food chain. Long story short, Marine Corps was very good to me. I ended up after September 11th getting deployed, uh, first with NCIS on a special mission and then detailed to uh, second force and then deployed again. I ended up doing seven and a half years on active duty with the Marine Corps after September 11th, um, most of that time overseas, and had an absolutely wonderful experience, uh, made my TLS, made my cuts for command, ended up uh, retiring as a full colonel, and you know, God took care of me, and uh, my Marines took care of me, and it was a wonderful experience. Wow. So, folks, you just heard that journey by Ed. I mean, Army to Special Forces. It sounds like, Ed, you're one of the first special forces marines in the marine corps is that true yeah there was uh the only other one that i know of that was an officer anyway was uh, uh general sam helland and he came across the marine corps he was an sf or also and came across he did it to become a pilot and uh, ended up becoming a four-star general he's a great man and uh he and i hit it off very well he's now retired and happily living in minnesota but yeah there were the, the two of us that we know of Wow. So, folks, you're listening to the first ever recorded Marine, Special Forces Marine, probably in the U.S. Marine Corps history. So a little Marine Corps history here. This is pretty cool. Being a Marine, I just, I had to put it out there, just out of respect. <laughs> Being a double dog, you just got to do what you got to do. <laughs> that's uh, that's impressive. So, I mean, we're making history on the Fearless Mindset Podcast because Ed is fearless in his approach in life and fearless enough to go become, you know, a special forces Marine and not think twice about it. That's, that's, that is the example of being fearless in life folks. And, uh, that's one of the reasons why I want to have that on because Marine being a Marine Corps, being in leadership as a Colonel, and that's not easy to do. I mean, that's crazy. And then you went back in the military after nine 11 and active duty status to serve the country and see the, see all the chaos and war. And carnage that you saw. I mean, that had to be what happened. What went through your mind after 9 11? I mean, I, I just got out of college, got my a degree in uh, SOU, my bachelor's degree. And a week later, I got my honorable discharge papers. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm done. You go back in and you just, like, you're having a great time protecting our country. What was that journey like for you? I, I think the toughest part um, was 
kind of leaving my civilian field behind because I was doing so well in my law enforcement career. At the time, I was a sergeant working on the street. I worked canine. I worked canine for 15 years and absolutely loved that job. You're doing, you know, you're doing uh, rescue or search and destroy missions like every night. It's wonderful. It's a great, great career, great gig and, and really a good primer for working in corporate security as well because you learn so much. Um, but that was the hard part was leaving that behind, leaving my family behind and um, just getting kicked out the door uh, and, and really in a unique position, because I think what happens, a lot of folks don't know this, but in the special operations community, generally speaking, when you deploy, you deploy in small elements. And sometimes, again, you don't have that big backbone. So you look at an army unit deploying, for example, or even some Marine units, you have a whole regiment go out. It's all that fanfare and the party and the family's there and they're there to see you away with the band, et cetera. And then when you come back to the same thing. In a special operations community, you don't get that. A lot of times it's like a nighttime flight going overseas to get you there where you're going. Uh, my first pump, I went out, um, that gig that I did with Second Force, and I had a bunch of preamble to do and PTP to do before we went for redeployment training. Uh, and then I ended up by myself going solo to a nondescript location, living in a safe house for two weeks alone. So, you know, some of that stuff is, it really sits with you. That's what's difficult is that you're expecting you're going to have that, all that logistics and all that backing with you or, you know, at that deployment, my nearest uh, uh, close air support was on strip alert three hours away. You know, it's really a different ball of wax than going to Iraq with the whole battalion and everybody's there with you and you got you know, Joe Bonatz to your left and Bobby to the right and everybody's going to help each other. No, it wasn't quite like that. And coming back was also, you know, the reindoctrination coming back uh, where you're operating alone, solo. And now all of a sudden you got all that return and uh, reindoctrination into your civilian life. It, it is very, very hard. So, you again, going back to what translates into corporate security, being malleable, being diplomatic, being to interact, with, uh, able to interact with different people, uh, operating alone and unafraid and, uh, and making responsible decisions on your own. This is something that I really like to uh, tell people coming into the security world, too, is like, look, my routine hasn't really changed much. It never has. Even when I was uh, deploying small elements alone in the SO community, working in law enforcement, it hasn't changed much. I, I get organized. I keep on learning. I'm versatile in my thinking. I maintain my physical fitness. I don't give a shit where I am in the world. I'm doing PT every morning. <laughs> you know, I don't care what it takes. I'm doing PT. I'm 58 years old right now. I've broken my back. I've, I've been shot twice. Uh, you know, lost parts of my body. I had a hip replacement last year. I've had, uh, you know, all kinds of surgeries. That It doesn't matter. There's PT in the morning. So you always have this routine that's helping you maintain mind and body. Uh, I seek relationships with, with uh, successful people in the industry and successful uh, colleagues that I can lean on. I lean on my family and my outside friendships. I'm not only dealing with military people. I try to find outside interests as well. I have a hobby that goes outside the military or outside uh, security. And I try to help others. Every day I try to do something that I'm going to be either pro bono doing something for somebody else, whether it's not just to be altruistic, but I want to do something that's giving of myself. So I haven't changed. This is the stuff I've always done. And people who've worked with me, both in the Marine Corps and in law enforcement, know that that's Eduardo. That's what he does. And I have not changed. What has been your secret to be being fearless in your approach and you know, go back in the Corps do what you did. What was the switch in your mind that goes on? Is it mission? Is it serving the country? What, what keeps you fearless? 
Um, boy, I tell you, I, I, I hesitate to say that I'm fearless because I have my fears. I've got my moments just like anybody else does. We all have our breaking points. Um, I've been, I've been able to adapt and overcome by having a positive mindset. In fact, I had a, a former boss of mine, uh, working in the security arena that I, I used to say that he, he's the, I'm the glass half full guy. And he was like, the glass is half empty and it's leaking and we're all in trouble. I, I don't like to be that guy. I like to look at things through a positive prism as much as possible. And yeah, there's times like things suck and you say, Hey, I love it when it sucks. I wish it could suck some more. Let's try to make this work. You know? Yeah. So it's not that you, not you're totally fearless. It's that you try to keep your mind in a place where whatever's happening, I'm going to make it work and I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. Uh, the survival mindset, you know, knowing that I'm going to come through this just fine. Um, you know, one of the proudest moments in, in my career, my law enforcement career was uh, I got involved in a, a shooting SWAT involved shooting. And I was shot twice during that event. And uh, I remember listening to the radio calls right afterwards. And my voice was calm and my team's voice was calm. Nobody raised their voice. It was like nothing had happened. You know, do we get amped up? Of course, you know, you get involved in a shooting and, you know, rounds are fired. Guys are down. But knowing that everybody was calm and doing their jobs, I was so proud of that. And knowing that all the stuff that you train for and that you prepare for, that stuff that is scary, you don't get scared through it because you know you're going to get through it. You're going to you're going to get through it. Um, and even when you see friends hurt, uh, you know, you're going to get through it. You just have to be able to maintain your intestinal fortitude. And again, going back to what I was talking about before, if you have that routine or that mind and body routine, every day you're doing something to cultivate your mind and body, that's how you're going to know you're going to get through that hard stuff. You will get through it. And listen, I, and I had, you know, in my personal life, challenges that were absolutely, you know, egregious, really, really terrible challenges, but you get through it. What is your advice? I know right now I've been hearing more lately. Um, a lot of teenagers getting ready to go, trying to figure out themselves out, going military. What do they do with themselves? There's a lot of depression, a lot of uh, uh, self-destruction behavior going on right now. And, you know, they're, they're engrossed with social media, Instagram, Facebook, and they watch this garbage coming in their brain 24-7. What is your advice to these folks that are trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and they're approaching the 19 to 20 years of age group any any advice for those folks for sure i think uh i think one of the first things is get yourself organized you got to know where you're going you got to map it out know where you came from know where you are know where you want to go to if you don't have a plan of action you're you're bound to get screwed and if you're you know your sole purpose in life is this you know five by seven world and you're facing that all the time and not thinking about anything else you're going to get screwed so, I, you know, listen, again, I haven't changed in, in more than 25 years. You'll recognize this little green monster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To this day, I use it. I have my checklist. You know, I keep on learning. So I get organized. I know what's going on in my day. I keep notes about what I did. What I've, I've done this for 25 years. I've had the same notebooks and I maintain records of everything that I do, where I'm going, what I'm doing. I have my own metrics. Here's what I have my expectations for myself far. And I check those little boxes. It's like you're winning a little war every day. You're checking little boxes. So I think if if young men and women would do more of that, keep themselves on track to say, all right, here's my check the box for today. PT, done. Okay, I'm going to read five minutes of the news. 
done. I'm going to be versatile in my think thinking. I'm not just looking at Fox or CNN. I'm looking at Al Jazeera, I'm looking at BBC. I want to know what's going on here in my hometown and outside. I'm reading the Wall Street Journal. I'm forming my own opinions. Done. Maintain physical fitness. Done. Seeking relationships with successful people in the industry. I'm looking for somebody else to mentor me or somebody who I admire. Maybe on LinkedIn, I found them. Maybe it's somebody who my family knows. Done. And you're checking those boxes and it's holding you accountable to make sure that you're going to be productive instead of wasting all your time on video games and, you know, jacking around on the phone or being on the block with your buddies. There's, there's, there's a time and a place for that. I think it's wonderful to socialize and have fun. You, you like video games, knock yourself out, but don't make that the mainstay of your life. You've got to get yourself organized. So I think if, if I was to have one piece of advice for young men and women, Get yourself a damn book and write down what your objectives are and keep at it every day, every day. And I'm not talking about journaling and writing your thoughts down. That works for some people. It doesn't work for me. I just want to know where I'm at, where I'm going. How about this one, Ed? Say you're, you're, we're talking, we have some maybe Marines or people who are in the military right now. They're getting out and maybe they're dealing with depression and they're looking at that rifle and they don't see any hope. What's, you, you're, you've served as a colonel in the Marine Corps. What is your advice to those, the troops out there? Navy, sailor, airmen that are just, maybe maybe they're just disgusted with the culture of our country. I don't know. What What is any power, empowering words of wisdom you have for those folks? Listen, I think that you need to, I, I think my friend Ricky Anucci, who's a guy that I think you would you should have on this show, um, is a former U.S. Marshal and former SF guy, and he's now a pastor, and he runs a program called Cowboy Up. And Cowboy Up program deals with what he calls spiritual dissonance. I think that's the problem is a lot of people aren't connected spiritually. And I'm not talking about you have to be bound to one God or bound to, I, I don't care who your God is or what your thoughts are. You need to be spiritually connected to yourself and your environment and your family and your friends. And the problem that we have is when you get to that point where you're so disconnected and disaffected uh, you don't know where to turn. Yeah, maybe you will turn to that rifle. Maybe you are going to turn. That's an easy solution. Right. And I know plenty of people I thought were very strong, very strong people. I never imagined we're going to take that course of action. Do it. Um, and sadly, they did it because they didn't have that support mechanism around them at that time when they were thinking about it. And sometimes it comes very suddenly, as you know, you know, looking around the left and the right, we see that more often than not. 